Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. Guy here. You're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's MRKT Call. It's a daily video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market-moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we're joined by our friends Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young, that's EY of SoFi, for their investment analysis. So check it out. And if you like it, follow at Market Call on on Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media's YouTube page so you never miss an episode. A lot of you are going to lose bingo right now because I'm sure people say, Guy's going to forget. And he says, Say Monday. Eh, too bad. You lose. <laughs> it's Tuesday. September 5th, Guy Adami here, parts unknown. But today, check this shit out. Dan Nathan and Danny Moses coming to you from CME Group out there in Chicago. I don't know, it's like Wacker Street. I just like saying Wacker Street because it sounds like fun. Today's market call, by the way, it is 1 o'clock on the East Coast. Brought to you by CME Group, where risk meets opportunity. Of course, facts at financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. You guys were on a plane together. I mean... There's a lot of yeah. risk associated with that little Ferris Bueller action. Yeah, today, we, we, we are going to have we're going to have the day today, like Ferris had back in 1986. Was that 1986 Somewhere in Chicago? Right sure. Uh, sure. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, no, we, we are actually we're going to see the Pearl Jam tonight. The United Center guy. We wish we wish you could have been here uh, yeah, for I love, us. I love Pearl Jam. We got things kicking, so we're in our good friend Anita's office here, just down the down the hall from the the studio, the fine studio they have in here, and got. You know, guy, you often talk about this guy. What do you call him? That cool cat, uh, Laird Hamilton, who's in all the CME ads over here. Yeah, well, there's no, a big, tell me Laird Hamilton's there right now. No, he's not. But there, there, <laughs> there is a picture, there of, Laird a picture of him. And Danny, uh, maybe maybe Jacob can pull it up here. And, and Danny kind of got all up there in the CME advertising yeah. for that. It's pretty That's good here. Close as I've come to surfing. That's yeah, about no, as close but it's, it's great to be come. here at CME Group. It's great to be in Chicago. It's going to be great to see Pearl Jam tonight. But it's really, we got some work to do now, right now, yeah, Danny do. Moses. Okay, so we're here. Uh, let's talk about the markets here, guys. Like, listen, last week was a heck of a week. Um, and, and interestingly, last week in the S&P and, and, and just in equities in general, it kind of had a great feel towards the end of December. But it wasn't a great August for the stock market. You yeah. know what I mean? And so, Danny, talk to me a little bit about like like season ending. We're in the summer. We know there's low vol. We know there's this, that, whatever. Did that feel like, like a, a month end mark to you? And, and we know all the seasonality. We talked about it with Tom Lee of Funstrat. He was on our On The Tape podcast on Friday, people. And you got to check out that conversation because I think we were all, um, you know, Tom has been very right about the direction of equities this year, but he seemed very perplexed by the reaction of his views a little bit. So where are we, Danny, in the S&P 500 here? Because you have a trade that we're going to get to in a few minutes, but I also want to talk a little bit what Mike Wilson over at Morgan Stanley is saying. I know that's a lot, but how did that last week of the summer feel to you? Was it just a yeah. classic mark? 
lot, you know, a little bit of lack of news flow. The Bulls are still in control, I think. And all they're really focused on for better, for worse is, is the Fed done or is the Fed not done? And so I focus beyond that, but if yeah. that's near-term focus, when there's not a lot of liquidity in the market, that tends to be what's going to happen. They're still kind of in control here. So you did get the month end markup. I think it just, it was really, really low volume and negative gamma. We won't go into all that, yep. but I do feel inspired by being in the headquarters today. It's pretty cool. CME to put on a futures trade. Today, yeah, well, we're, we're going to do that in a sec. Hey, guys, so so what Danny just mentioned is like the perception that the Fed is done. If we look at the CME Fed Watch tool here for the September meeting, it's pricing less than a 10% chance that the Fed goes 25 basis points, but it's also placed, pricing a pretty decent chance that they go again this year. Again, only 25 basis points. Guy, you made this case. At this point, they've gone you know, 550, right, in, in 18 months or so. And so the damage is done. The lag mm-hmm. effects are going to be the lag effects, whether they go another 25 or not. Do you agree with Danny that the perception that the Fed is near done was one of the reasons why it was easy to lift the S&P up, what, two and a half, three percent last week in, in, in what was a pretty nasty month that we all thought could be nasty because we thought expectations were running really high into Q2 earnings. Yeah, I'll amplify that. I think it's right. But I'll say one of the reasons is bad news was interpreted as good news. And I think that sort of galvanizes or sort of fortifies the argument Danny's making. You know, people see that, okay, things are softening. The Fed is out of the picture. That must be bullish. And I understand the very one, you know, that in my opinion, sort of elementary way of thinking about things. But as I've said a number of times, the damage has been done just because the locusts are gone and you're like cheering the fact that the locusts are now no longer in your crops. When you turn around to look, it's like, holy shit, the locusts are gone, but look at the damage has been done in their wake. So yeah, they're out of the way, the Fed. I would submit they're probably done. I don't even know if it matters at this point if they hike another 25, the fact remains they've done the work that needed to be done and the lag effects are going to kick in. And I read a lot over the weekend, the long weekend, by the way, about exactly that. I think people are surprised it hasn't kicked in yet. But as this data continues to come in, which has been soft, that suggests that the lag effects are starting to take hold. And despite the fact that people will champion that and say, this must be good for equities, it's anything but. And oh, by the way, and we'll talk about it, so I don't want to sort of jump but very quietly, yields are getting back on their horse, Dan Nathan, and they're not getting back on their horse because things are going gangbusters on the economic side. I think the irony here is that, again, to go back to the start of the year where people like me also yeah. thought that things would be softer than they ended yeah. up being. They were softer actually much sooner in softer the year. Yep. Sooner. Yep. Yep. So you had a market was obviously, I don't know exactly where it's up at the beginning of the year, but we're up much higher. Rates are up a lot higher on Fed funds. You know, Obviously, they've raised several times this year. And here we are sitting here, and now the data that I'm seeing it appears to be the data we thought we might see six months ago. So you have rates higher, market higher, and now I believe the economic data is starting to show that it's softening. So from here, and that's what's going to lead me kind of to this trade here, Dan, yeah. because it feels that yeah. way. So, so let, let's talk a little bit about Mike Wilson. Um, we just mentioned Tom Lee, who's been really bullish all year and mm-hmm. been very right. I think it's important to also mention that he was really bullish all of last year and the stock market um, trade very poorly. And I don't say that with, with any jest because I've been fairly bearish all year long and been very wrong. That's the thing about the market. And we had a really interesting conversation with Tom because you know you hear people say this all the time, the markets are very humbling, right? Like, the, you know, nonstop. 
I didn't agree with him that the markets rarely make any sense. Go go listen to that pod. It dropped on yep. Friday because to me, I think we've all been through some really great periods in the markets where when you're trading well, investing well, you're seeing things, uh, you know, like correlations appropriately in this and that, whatever, and they do make sense. Most of the time they make sense, in, in my opinion, when you're making money. Let's go to Mark, Mike Wilson at Morgan Stanley, who's been – Really bearish, I think, a back half of 21 as we were. Really bearish in 2022. He made some tactical trading calls on the bullish side in 2022, but he's remained bearish, okay, for this year. All right, so this is his note this morning. He's saying, this is uh, per Bloomberg, that uh, investors are way too optimistic about the stock market. At current prices, markets are now expecting a meaningful reacceleration in growth that we think is unlikely this year, especially for the consumer. Potentially softer September and October data is not priced into many stocks and expectations. The bottom line is that at this stage of the cycle, the economic data can be conflicting and uncertain for both the bulls and the bears. During such periods, price action tends to influence sentiment and positioning more than normal. Guy, talk to me about the sentiment relative to what the market is saying, despite the data being weaker and despite what stocks are priced for. Yeah, it goes back to what I said before. if it's funny because I'm reading the comments as you've been chatting, and I've been listening to you obviously as well. But people are saying bonds are bonds are going lower, rates are going higher because the economy is so strong. Okay, uh, you know if that's the lens you want to look. I mean, I would submit. You know, if you just look at some of the data, some of the manufacturing data, some of the ISM. I mean, things are starting to soften. The unemployment rate is starting to tick higher. All of these things are suggesting that those rate hikes are going to start to kick in. The sentiment has been such that. Again, it's very one-dimensional thinking. If the Fed's out of the way, that must be bullish for equities. And the softer the data, the more the Fed is then theoretically out of the way. And oh, by the way, the more likelihood there is that they will cut rates sometime in the beginning of next year. I don't think that is likely as all. And we will talk about energy because the inflationary forces that they've been trying to combat for some time, theoretically or seemingly doing a good job, those things are going to start to, and Danny's been talking about this well, are going to start to reaccelerate. And it's going to start in this month, and you're seeing it with some of these underlying commodities. So I get it. People want to be bullish. They want things to go higher. They want all this shit to go away and hope there are no ramifications. I understand it. Believe it or not, I'm a human being as well that happens to live in the United States too. So in, in essence, that would benefit me too. But what does not benefit me is trying to talk a bullish game when I don't see it. I don't see it really out there, Dan. Yeah, I, I mean, Danny, and, and and one of the things I would just say there was something that caught my attention in Axios this morning. I thought it was kind of it was the return of two percent. It was their one big thing, and we've talked about it a lot on the pods over the last kind of year or two. Is that you know the the normal pre pandemic was. GDP, 2%-ish inflation, 2% job growth, right? 2% 10-year yield. That's what I mean. It's kind of an interesting sort of thing. So, you know, if if inflation is trending in the right way, and I know Guy just said that we're seeing some inflationary readings, you know, tick back up, but let's just say when we're done with this, you know what I mean? All those things get back to 2%. You know, the stock market did not mind those prior 10 years to the pandemic, all those 2%. It traded pretty well, right? So talk to me a little bit about the data and kind of how you're thinking about it and kind of interpret what Mike Wilson's saying, because sooner or later, Mike's going to have to give up on his bullish call if we make bearish a right call, or bearish call. Excuse me. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. Um, and, and we might have to change our I tune. And you yeah. say this all the time. Yeah. You're like, I'd love to wake up and be bullish. You know what I mean? But yeah. given what I'm seeing right now, I just can't be. 
you can't have it both ways. So listen, yeah. if you're bullish or bearish, you could paint a picture when yields are higher and lower that it's bullish or bearish, right? You can paint the picture. I believe we're competing with the Fed, obviously, selling treasuries. We're competing with the Treasury, selling treasuries. We're competing with Japan and China, selling treasuries. Yes, the US, but there are U.S. buyers, obviously, of treasuries out there. But this whole return of 2%, if and when that does happen, that's going to be a painful move back to those levels. Why? Because growth is going to slow to a level, I believe, before that it, before inflation is going to slow. We've already seen a revision lower in GDP growth. We're kind of there. I believe that's going to get lower. And so, listen, again, trying to time this and play this game, I go back to fundamentals, bottom-up investing in these companies. And the one thing that you asked, Tom, that he did not answer, and you said the market, what, 2000, back half of 21 and 2022 yeah. provided was a real stock pickers and stock pickers market, yes. in my opinion. And you have to just take the inputs. And some companies are agnostic to where rates are. Yeah. Some have debt on their balance sheet. Some don't. Some need growth. Some have a great on a weak dollar. Some are great on a strong dollar. Again, you got to use all the inputs and then use the company themselves. And that's how you make stock picking long or short. So all these things that we're seeing, give it to the CEOs of these companies, you know, the ones that you like. Listen to the conference calls. Listen to what they're saying. Look at their balance sheets and make a decision to try to time the S&P. I know we do that because yeah. it's the big market thing. And I have a trade here in a second. In general, it's not a fool's game as much as it is just trying to pick up on sentiment. And the other thing that's in this note, I think that Mike wrote at the bottom of his note was that it becomes self-fulfilling. If the market goes up for three or four yeah. days, the sentiment shifts. And in the type of volume that we've had you know, in August, in the end, that's a very powerful self-reinforcing mechanism that goes on, on the long or the short side. Yeah, but, that, but that's such a great point, is that the S&P 500 made a new all-time high in the first week of January of 2022, yet we started doing our pod uh, on the tape on January um, of 2021, okay? And we, you had been all over meme stocks, crypto, NFT, SPACs, unprofitable tech companies, <laughs> recent IPOs, the list went on. They started selling off like in Q2 of 2021. And so we were bearish on the markets. And if you were just looking at it through the lens of the S&P 500, right, you were wrong because it made a new high, you know, some year right. later, but a lot of stuff had been crashing. And I think that's really important. You know, Doug Cass sent me um, a text right here or an email. And I think this is important. This is from his uh, investor letter for Seas Breeze partner that he just put out. He's never been, uh, he's never seen uh, the market more overvalued relative to interest rates. I think this is interesting. High interest rates provide equity like returns with little risk of volatility. We know that. And I think it's good for him to point that out. A paper thin equity risk premium, the difference between the S&P 500 um, earnings, Yield and the risk-free interest rate at the lowest level since 06 suggests that the credit is more attractive than equity. I think that's really interesting. The one-year U.S. Treasury note yields 5.529% compared to the S&P 500 dividend yield of only 1.55%. I mean, listen, all great stuff out of Doug, and I think those are important to kind of uh, think about a little bit. There, there's a, The most important thing about his comment there, and I agree with it, we've yeah. talked about it, is that we've gone a generation with global QE. Yeah. A gener 15 years, yeah. 16 years, this has been going on, right? And so you have a group of traders and it's not their fault. They have never seen, they don't understand that. They don't understand the comparisons of risk-free rate. How do you plug that in to do a present value of what an equity should be worth? This is a lost art. I believe that's coming back to a theater near you. Don't go buy AMC on that, believe me, because it's not. But, but, but my point is that that's a great comment. And I think that's what we're looking at is kind of opportunity, right? Yeah. What is the opportunity cost? You can go get 5% right now yep. and kind of close your eyes and not have to worry about anything. 
Now, there's growth companies out there that should grow more than that. But listen, it's a great that, point. And, and I think it's AI, And that's the AI trade here this yeah. year. I mean, that's what people you know are so excited about. And again, we know how these little sentiment bubbles in the stock market end, and it's not going to be particularly great. Um, hey, guys, let's pull up the S&P 500 futures here, the chart. And um, you know, going back to August of uh, 2022, remember that mm -hmm. 4350 level? We've been talking about the breakout that we saw May, June, the check back that we we had looking like a little bit of a head and shoulders to you, bud. I mean, like, do you want to see a retest of that 43? I know yeah. you want to so, see it. Well, it's not, I don't want, listen, I want to be right. You know, I think yeah. everybody wants to be correct. You know, it, well, it's not going to be particularly present if we are. Yes. In the short term, I mean, that's unfortunately not long enough, but yes. And in, in a very short period of time, that's what it appears to be. But if in fact we've stalled here again and we start to sort of, basically gravitate back down towards that support level 4350 one has to ask themselves how many times can you test support before you break through carter can speak to this he'll be on with me tomorrow um that 4200 level which is the moving average you know with each passing day that gets a little higher that's definitely in the crosshairs but again you know i go back to rates because you know people are saying the economy's so good yields are going higher because the market is demanding a higher yield to buy our shit and by the way, it happens to be shit. And Danny says it all the time. You know, the Fed's not there trying to monetize this stuff. So somebody's got to buy this stuff. And the market is finally starting to call bullshit. Rightly so, by the way. And people are going to be like, oh, you're un-American. No, that's patently false. You know, we're trying to point out some of the flaws in the system. And as Danny just said, you know, 15 years of basically zero, zero interest rates and free money, it distorts things. And now... We're coming to that point where there's this day of reckoning, and I think it's happening in the bond market, not only here in the United States, but I think across the, across the globe, Dan. I was about to say, prior to our Fed, our next Fed meeting, yeah. there's an ECB meeting and there's a BOE meeting, and the data coming out of Europe is still not very good. inflationary. Yeah. And they have stagflation, period, end of story going on in Germany, and you know a lot of Europe is stagflation right now, period. And so they're potentially going to be raising rates into that. And the point that Guy brought up earlier, and we'll get to oil later, if you start to either hint at cutting rates or hint, oil's going to go triple digits here, yeah. right? We are going to get inflation in the wrong time going into the winter. So again, a lot of a lot of moving parts. Yeah. We're in the we're in the right headquarters and, for all and this. And we're going right to talk now, about that. You guys have been talking. You know, you guys have been saying that for a while now. And and crude, you know, started to rally. Interestingly, as some of these inflationary other inflationary readings had picked up a little bit. All right, Danny, let's look at the S and P futures here. We were just looking at that chart, and you and I were talking about it a bit earlier. And you want to be tactical in the way that you're trading the S and P 500, and you feel like some of the sentiment readings are lining up for a good short trade. So talk to us here. Let's say the S P is 45.10 in the futures right here. How are you trading them in the futures? Where do you want to kind of set a stop to the upside if you're wrong? And let's talk about some of these initial targets you're focused on. Listen, I think if we get back through kind of the 4,600 level, which was pretty much the highs, something yeah. other has happened, something else, right? Yeah. Better revisions to earnings. Fed has indicated that not only are they done, they're maybe we get pulled forward on Fed fund futures. They're going to be cutting rates potentially. And I don't want to be, I don't yeah. want to mess with that yeah. because as, as I mentioned before, every day that goes by right now, we're closer to trading on 2024 earnings and 23 won't mean anything. Yep. So I don't want to get caught in that. So, you know, my stop out is short is shorter in terms of price appreciation than where I'm going to cover. And the reason that I think that is, is because if we get back into this mode that guy's talking about, kind of the air comes out of the bubble, we will retest 4,300, you know, in my yeah. opinion, but just seasonally, depending on when we get there, once we get through October, 
I'll take off half kind of 4,300. Yeah. And then if we gap down to 4,100, I kind of want to be out. And so that's kind of how I'm thinking. Yeah. About so, it. so guy, this is really, um, I, I really like the levels here. So what Danny's doing, he's selling at 4,500 here. He's risking about a hundred points to the upside, which is really that technical level at 4,600, which would be um, a new high for this cycle. Right. And we know the 4,800 was the all time high made in early 2022. And his initial target is kind of that August low if you will, right? Or, you know, just down there near 4,300. And then obviously he would use a trailing stop, right? So if we got mm-hmm. down to, you know, 4,400, you might get, you know, lower that 4,600 stop, probably to 4,500 where you put the trade on and can you continue to do that until you start covering some of this? What do you think of these levels here? And what do you think of the timing of this trade? Levels are correct, in my opinion. I think you want to have a tight leash because obviously over the last year or so, you've seen what's happened to short positions you get eviscerated, but you know, you have to keep swinging the bat as they say. So the level to stop out is right. The timing is right, especially if the bond market is doing what I think it's doing, because I think that will sort of line up with the equity selling off the S and P selling off. The initial target is right. The prior, the prior resistance level becomes support. The only thing that I would add to this, and I think Danny would agree, Dan, you probably would as well. If you want to be uber aggressive here, you could say, you know what? And if we close below, let's say 43, close below 4,300, instead of covering a portion, I'm actually going to add to my short position. So you can add on a basically, in this case, add on weakness, but add on the strength of your position. And then the target, I think, is right on the downside. And that's how I would look at it. But, you know, again, just because it's funny, you can strike out three times, but, you know, you still got to come to the plate. And it's the same thing in trading. You know, you can be wrong, wrong. But when you catch something, which I think Danny's probably on the precipice of doing, that's when you get ultra aggressive. And let's not forget the wager I have with oh, yes. Tom Lee from our episode last week, just for the month of September, higher or lower on the S&P, $1,000 to our charity of choice, I might add. Yeah, no, that'll be fun to yeah. kind of check on. Uh, Obviously, I have down. On September okay. 30 <laughs> here. Yes, you do have down. The last day of trading in September is 29. Tom's Correct. up. You're down 1000 uh to the loser's charity there. Um, all right, let's talk about yield To the tier. winner's charity. Excuse me, to the yeah, winner's charity. Yeah. I'm getting all turned around yeah, that's here. That's all right. Um, let, let's talk about yields here because, Guy, you just mentioned it here. You know, let's look at the 10 year note for a second here. We're at like four and a quarter or so. You know, you see the level here. We're contending with that high from, you know, earlier this spring or so. Um, you know, I mean, listen, it seems to be in a nice uptrend, a series of higher lows, right? A series um, of higher highs here. We know that that kind of cycle high was going back to late 2022, um, if you will. So you think the 10 year, and we'll talk a little bit about some of these. Um, we'll talk about some of the levels um, in, in in the twos and stuff like that. But you think the ten year is, is primed to make a new high in the near term? I do, um, and I've been saying it for a while. I've looked smart at times over the last couple of weeks when yields from ten year went from four thirty six down to I think like four oh five or something. I wasn't looking that bright. Now yields are back on their horse again. I think yields are going higher. I think yields are going higher for the wrong reasons. Again, I'm not suggesting I'm right. That's my opinion. But yields are not going higher because we have some economy that's going gangbusters. They're going higher because inflation is still a problem, without question, in my opinion. And people are demanding higher yields to buy our debt, which means that if we can get through, again, this four and a quarter, 430 level, at a certain point, we're just going to go, I think, racing through to the upside. Now, it makes perfect sense to stall here. Carter Work did 
work on this last week where he think he brought four charts, twos, fives, tens, and thirties to take a look at. And they all were very similar in terms of this topping out formation. I think yields are going higher. If you want to look at it through the lens of like a TLT, for example, I think the October low in the TLT was 91.85. Obviously, as TLT goes down, yields go higher. Right now, the TLT is trading, I think, 93.80 or so. So that's the level you want to watch. But to answer your question succinctly, yes, yeah. I think yields are going higher here. All right. So, so really quickly, we're at, the C- we're at the CME, Danny and I are. When there's a press release out this morning, CME Group to launch T-bill futures on October 2nd as the Treasury futures open interest hits a record of nearly 20 million contracts. Danny, you're an old school trader. Okay. You've been trading. Well, I'm not calling you old. I'm just no, saying but I, like, you know, you're, you're an old school trader. Have you, can you recall a period in your career where there has been so much interest, we use the term open interest, right. okay, but so much interest in trading, you know, futures products and T-bills in particular. And, and again, we haven't seen a yield that's attracted so much attention to T-bills, right? In, yep. in a long time. So talk to me a little bit about that because it seems like, you know, obviously our friends here at the CME, they have their finger on the pulse. They see where the interest is in the products and they can launch them fairly quickly. Talk to us about the, the, the hedge fund set here. This is a this is a probably a really interesting product to trade in this environment right yeah, now. Yeah, it's the first time in a long time that on an outright on their own, they're very interesting as opposed to just a hedging mechanism yes, to finance a book, to finance an M&A, finance whatever, because it didn't matter. So it's a years. macro risk asset at the exactly. moment. Right we now. never traded these products yeah. per se, yeah. right? The banks did it for yeah. us or whatever, just to hedge, hedge out the book here and there. But, you know, it's really interesting because the obsession with this, let me go back to Guy's point yeah. about yields. There are very few certain things in this market, nothing certain, but the most certain thing that I can think of, if the 10-year yield starts to break out higher from here, yeah. I'm sorry, the stock market is not going up. It's not. Because you're, it's it's not. I don't believe it's going and up. That was my point bro, to Tom on I, Friday. I understand, like, that but doesn't I make this. sense. And, and if we think back to the sixty forty trade yep. that went against everyone last year, yep. remember that was from a very low base. You talk about a sixty forty trade now potentially going against, which could happen again, where people allocate for people who don't know equities, bonds, sixty forty, whatever it might be, both go against you, where there's nowhere to kind of hide. I think so. These are being looked at because. Did anyone even look at Fed fund futures for a period other than intermittently in 2015 and 2018, whatever? Now we're here. And so now we have the, we literally have something that's gone up so far. We know it has to come down at some point. So launching this is very timely, right? And people have an interest and they've been educating themselves, whether it's on CME's website or Investopedia or whatever other, maybe a dangerous website where they've looked up, they think they know how to trade these things. This is where you kind of want to do it, which leads to, I know we're going to talk about a contest that that they're going to be having here. CME is going to be having. So the answer is educate yourselves before you trade with your real money. And I think this contest yeah. will be an opportunity. And the other thing I'll so. just say is that, and, and, and again, you know, using futures and using stops, you know, when we talked about that trade in the S&P 500, I mean, literally, if you're putting that stop in at 4,600 and you're shorting at 4,500 and you're capping your risk at that 100 points, but your initial target is down 200 points, that's how you should be thinking about trades and risk rewards. And Guy used the expression of taking, you know, um, you know, swings at the plate, you know, that sort of thing. That's what futures trading is all about using tight stops, cutting your losses, but kind of, you know, you know, I, I guess just taking care of your capital so you can well, live go, to play another go, day. Go rewatch Duke and Duke trading yeah, places to you get go. an idea what can go wrong if you. All right. So, get so a couple of things really quickly, guy. You mentioned that Danny and I flew in together. I just see a headline coming across. We were on a United Airlines flight. There is a total ground slot stop of United 
planes right now. Okay, just came across Bloomberg because what? of a computer glitch. You are the worst. What you do you mean I'm the worst? You said to me this morning on the plane, you know, Danny, I've done eight straight you. flights. They've the all been on month. time. We all haven't united. Taken off yet. And you cursed everybody. You you literally ruined all right, the all you see all that headline, people. guys? So, so can, can you imagine if Danny and I were By on way, a later flight we and we were Pearl stuck Jam on a tickets. plane and yeah. we couldn't have gone to Pearl Jam, we couldn't have been here at the CME, that right. would have been a disaster. That's crazy. But I, disaster. Disaster. All right, but 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 guys, before the ground stop, Danny literally he logs onto the Wi-Fi, as you call it. Okay. And guy never does this. Guy just stares at what do you do? All right, really quickly for our for our audience here. What do you do when I, I've flown with you many of occasions and you are quite possibly when people ask, are there aliens among us? Right. Guy Adami is on an one airplane. of them. And and being on a plane with him is exhibit A. So tell yeah. tell the listener, tell the viewer what you do on a plane. First thing I do is I'm I usually am in the window seat. If I'm not, I ask the person at the window if he or she would like to switch. I sit at the window because once my ass is in that chair, I do not get up. It doesn't matter if I'm flying to Washington, DC, which is 30 Back. minutes, or if I'm flying to Hawaii, which is you know, nine hours or wherever the hell it is. I sit. Because that's what you're supposed to do. Now, to answer what I do, I just stare forward, literally <laughs> stare forward the entire time. And with these United planes, a lot of them don't even have a TV screen or something. Nope. So I'm staring at the back of a seat. I try to make it as miserable an experience as I possibly can. It's a test. It is a test, and only someone who is not from this planet would conduct themselves in that manner. I will say, but then he shows a bit of people. But people are saying, "No, you're making this up." I'm not making it up. I've been there. I've been there. And and another thing he does just to make it painful, he is all knotted up. Is it possible he is wearing that the a tie? Woman? He doesn't even loosen the tie. He doesn't take off his sport coat. Is it possible the guy was the alien that the woman was screaming about yeah. on the plane? Yeah, right. he's anyway. not real. Right. right. So, so, so the, the last point I want to make is his humanity. And then he helps everybody, not just little old ladies, get their bags down. Right. If there's a woman with a baby, he wants to help out there. I think it's just a big, I think it's a big head fake here. I think you're trying to like everyone who saw you. For three hours, just stare straight ahead. They're like, that guy's an alien. And then he tries to show a little bit of humanity. All right. So what I, sorry about that. That was me going off the United. rails here. So got, so Danny kept on showing me, he logs onto the Wi-Fi, keep showing me dollar yen, keep showing me dollar yen the yeah. whole time, the whole time. All right. So let's pull up the chart. Danny, you and Guy have been talking about this. Let's reiterate, why is this important to you, the levels in which it is breaching? And what does it mean for U.S. risk assets and your opinions here? Japan will have to defend their currency very, if not today, if not tomorrow, potentially by the end of this week. Everyone believes that 150 is the level mm -hmm. that they will defend it in. I'm telling you, when we get the report in a few weeks on who sold, what foreigners sold our bonds, by the way, it's lagged by six weeks. Who sold stuff in July, we're going to find out. I think you'll see it was Japan and China, but Japan. And so it's very risky. They are expanding their yield curve. We've talked about this. This has been where the carry trade emanated from. This has been the source of so much liquidity for so long. But that's the key, right? right yes. There. The no, source I, again, of the liquidity. People will tell you, I don't care. I don't watch it. Fine. Don't watch it. Don't care. Every major crisis has come out of some type of currency trade or, or some, you know, some type of commodity trade blowing up, right? A fund blows up here and there. It has to be paid attention to this yen. And it will hit 150. And when, if it goes through the 150 level, that if it happens that day, Rest assured, the U.S. markets are going to be down a lot. That's my opinion. It, I've been watching this thing for years. It's not like yep. I just started watching it this morning on the United. So, guy, are you in? And this, by the way, this was we were independent of each other, Danny right. and I, in terms of this yeah. yen thing. Yes. And and you know, people say it's not a big deal. To Danny's point, why why do I care about dollar yen? Oh, don't care about. It's fine. 
understand that there will be it's either going to be a government or a hedge fund or a series of funds that will blow up on the back of this. And the Bank of Japan will come in and they will try to support their currency, probably about that 150 level. They did it. I, I want to say in the fall, I might be off by a month or two of last year. It worked. But the more times you try it, the less, the least, the less effective it becomes. It's diminishing marginal returns. And now the market, I've said this before, it's calling bullshit on them. And they were able to do their yield controls for a while. Good for them. Now that genie's out of the bottle and they're losing control. So what happens? They have to sell treasuries. Why do they have to sell treasuries? So they can basically at some point come in and support their currency. This is not a good situation that's going on right there. Listen, global QE started in Japan. And I think it's and yep. things are ending there. That's yeah. why I think it's well, so like significant. That. So it's I not. Mean, just, I don't. I don't love it, but I mean, like, no, but it's but, not just symbolic. But, it but, actually. Is but I just want to reiterate this one point: if that the carry trade was the source of all of this liquidity, or one of the sources of liquidity, other than what our central bank had been doing with yields, right, yep. and quantitative easing, if you're pulling that liquidity out. Right. Like, yeah. like the, so if they start defending their own currency, Correct. then the relationship is that there is less money to go remember, into. Ask, remember, this is very easy to understand. Yeah. We know that their 10 year yield is suppressed. Yeah. We know that they artificially yeah. suppressed. We know that because you can look anything beyond yeah. 10 years, you see where it is. They out, they outright do it. Yep. Something's got to give here. Either stop supporting your 10 year yields yep. and keep them low or start, start, stop supporting your currency. Pick your poison here. Neither are good. The amount of debt that Japan has. That's why they have to keep it low. Right. Inflation has finally come to roost in Japan. They wanted it for a while, like we did. Yep. And now they're a little bit of trouble. China's slowing down. Who do you think buys from Japan? But, but that's the other you know, point. The other thing yep. is that where's the growth coming from? That's what I think people aren't paying attention to. And I think it's indicative of global growth slowing down at the same time. Well, the so. China growth stuff is a, an absolute disaster. Every morning we wake up like like expecting to see something about some you know property developer here or some lender here or some you know like we've been talking about what is on the other side of what what happened with the regional banks in March and in April and and it's some sort of credit it's happening in China right now and guy you brought up this point about you know the summer of 2015 or so right when the chinese August. started defending right there one and the s&p sold off in, in a matter of like i think 3 or 4 trading days like 10% or so so your contention is and, and Danny, what he's saying is you go through 150, right? You have some sort of extreme measures that are taken, and you think there's going to be knock-on effects and risk assets in, in here in Europe. Yeah, I do. I, you know, I've been saying it's been wrong. This, by the way, what I've been saying has been happening, but it's been wrong in so much it has had zero impact on the equity market here. So it's been right in terms of what's been transpiring, but it's wrong in terms of the outcome that I thought would happen. But that doesn't mean it won't happen. And again, you know, the China devalue in August of 2015, the repercussions, the ripple effect were felt in global equities for months. Now the Chinese yuan is at levels we basically saw eight or so years ago. Nobody's talking about that as well, because quite frankly, there's no reason to talk about it because the equity markets here are behaving. When the markets start to misbehave, which I think they will, again, these are just my opinions, which I'm still entitled to, I think people will start to point fingers and look for reasons why. And I think you have to, you don't have to look any further than what's going on in Europe. Danny pointed it out their growth problem, but their inflation problem is worse. That's not a good situation. Japan, right before our very eyes, they're, in my opinion, they're losing control of their currency and bond market. The same thing to a certain extent in China, 
it has to have ramifications here. And you're seeing it to a certain extent with what yields are doing in the United States. And listen, this next chart we're going to bring up is the dollar. What's in, what's the inverse of the yen weakening? Is the dollar yeah. strengthening, right? It's the euro and the yen are the two biggest components of it. So you tell me what happens when our dollar starts to blow so out for again. U.S. multinationals and yes. for their earnings. Yeah, it's not just, good, right? Well, you know, it's just it's just what I'm saying is it just brings another element. I don't think people are paying attention. Let's look at the dollar breaking out, guys. We also we got to pull up the gro- the gold futures here. Okay, they've also made a series of lower highs. Okay, we we do see that it bounced off that 200 day moving average, just um, you know, 1920 or so last month. I mean. What is the condition, Danny, that you think, and Guy has been mentioning this on, on, on a few occasions of late. He just said there's going to be a day for gold. And, you know, what, what, yeah. what is your take it's here? The, day that- the, well, all right. the technicals are not lining up. So, like, like, to me, I think if you have a break of 1900 to the downside, I think you probably go back to the lows that we saw back in March, which is just above, you know, 1800 or so. What, what, what is your take on, on gold right here? I'm, I'm by every, I buy, buy every, every dip. dip. And the reason is, we just talked about what if the people lose faith in the global central banks? What if, you know, the yen's out of control? What if these things start to happen? To me, it's just a play on uncertainty. And I think we're dealing with a lot of uncertainty in the markets, just to keep it simple. I, I know why it's down. Dollar strengthening, our yields move higher. It's a less attractive asset. It doesn't yield anything. I get all of that, but I'm buying it because where's it going on the downside? I, I think there's going to be a ton of support on it. No one really owns it on the institutional side. Yes, global central banks may own some, but no one has allocated really anything to it, in my opinion. So I'm a believer here, Dan. I don't even really look at the charts yeah. on gold, to be honest with you, because I'm not selling. But if it gets below 1900, I would say. So, so guy, talk to me about the chart there, because you do look at the charts. And, and again, I, I think you're someone who who looks at technicals and it is an important input for you. You know, you agree with everything that Danny just said about central banks and and, mm-hmm. and all, all the other stuff. What, what about the technicals of this chart? We didn't even bother doing a support. You could say that that was like that 1920 or so is a nice little double bottom here. So we're, we're, we're grinding into a level here a little bit that it might break one way or the other right over the next month or two. The downtrend's intact, you know, and you said it last week, it's probably going to stop at that. It did. Dollars going higher, that's a headwind. Obviously, yields going higher, that's obviously a headwind as well. So I get all those things. To Danny's point, though, and I think this is, well, I think this is going to be the crux of this entire thing. On the institutional side, nobody is long gold. Gold is not on anybody's radar screen on the institutional side, because quite frankly, it hasn't had to be. There have been other things. They will kick in. You know, there are systems that kick in that will get these guys and gals to buy gold, probably through the highs we saw back in the spring. And the problem will be when their systems kick in, it's a series of different funds and institutions, and they will try to allocate dollars that the gold market can't support. In other words, it's not liquid enough to take the amount of money that I think is going to be thrown at the gold market. That's not happening here. That's not happening on a sell-off. It's happening on a breakout. And you need to get it through those levels we saw in the spring, which, by the way, given everything we've just talked about for the last 36 minutes, I think is almost inevitable that it'll happen. All right. One one thing while we're on the gold, let's go to the digital gold. Let's go to the Bitcoin futures here, because I think this is actually fascinating. Not that like, like, like some of our viewers or listeners care so much about Bitcoin, but you know, last week you had that day, maybe it was exactly a week ago where you had um, Grayscale, all these, all these big financial institutions have put in for spot Bitcoin ETFs. You had a day and it was up like 7% on, um, you know, we know that SEC chair Gary Gensler is very against a, a lot of things in and around this sort of stuff. Um, you had that one day gap 
higher and then it's given it all back and look where bitcoin is right now it's headed towards that 200 day moving average is headed guy towards that uptrend if bitcoin were to break that uptrend and it's 200 day for the first time since let's say march okay what would that mean for 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 this risk asset given what was perceived to be really good news because we know that blackrock had filed um for a bitcoin spot etf we know that fidelity had we know that there'd be a lot of others and people were talking about what a great thing Tom Lee, you, Danny, you asked him about it. <laughs> I guess he gave $150,000 yeah, price card or something like that. It acts really bad, guy. So talk to me about what you're thinking of in Bitcoin right here. This this one has me, I mean, as confused as I generally am, this one has me extraordinarily confused because, again, given everything we've just been talking about, I would have thought Bitcoin would be significantly higher than that 32.5 level that we basically topped out at late spring, early summer, and it's not. So I'm not really sure. I think one of the things that might be happening is given some of the weakness in China, maybe there's some sort of China situation going on here that not a lot of people are talking about. You know, maybe there is this underlying seller that nobody's been able to identify, but everything in terms of fundamentals are seemingly in place for Bitcoin to go higher. And the fact that it's not has to be concerning for the Bitcoin bulls. This is a huge support level, obviously, given the trend line you drew. Yeah. All right. Last thing. Uh, we we got to do here is we got to talk about crude oil. And you guys have mentioned it on a couple of occasions. Um, you guys have both been in the camp that crude was going to rally into uh, the fall. It is certainly doing that. It is trading at a, a high or a level that is not seen um, since late last year. I mean, that's, you know, on a technical basis, I think it's really interesting. I think we have some, you know, headlines over the weekend um, that are, I think, really important, um, you know, as far as um, Saudi oil cuts and, and OPEC cuts and all that sort of stuff. And, and you're seeing crude do the thing that you would expect when you hear about cuts. Now, Danny, you mentioned this, okay, is that, you know, Saudis supply a lot of crude to China. We were talking about the weak China numbers. You know, export data is export data. You know, um, production are other things. Talk to us what you think is going on here with crude and how high can this get? And, and will this be one of those things that starts alarm bells going off about those who hold risk assets? And this goes all the way back when we started the show about what Mike Wilson is thinking about growth at these levels here, because what's coming out of China does not feel pro-growth here. And higher crude at a time where you don't have the engine of growth in China is a really bad thing, I think, for the global economy right now. So let me just say that I think it's getting exacerbated. One, when it was down to 65, and now maybe a little bit here. Let's not forget, there are funds that trade this, and there's not a ton yeah. of liquidity, right? We know that we think U.S. Treasuries trade like they do, obviously very, very volatile. We had a fund, remember, I keep talking about this fund, I can't yep. know the name of it, in the UK, yeah. basically get taken out of their positions. They were actually bullish oil. Liquidated lower. Liquidated like, yeah, lower, yeah, literally. Yeah. Was Which that you think caused a bit well, of that. Saying, what yeah. I'm saying is, he, there's not just one fund that, yeah. that kind of does that. So just put that to the side for a second, that I think you get, when you get these type of moves, right, and funds have to go out and cover the short position, because they're probably set up that way. You actually have less rigs, less production, less everything to meet current demand. I think the supply-demand equation, Dan, is now more offsides on the demand-supply side than it was pre-COVID at this yeah. point. So that's part of the game, too. And then you have Russia and Saudi manipulating the markets, extending these cuts. Again, just keep in mind, the U.S. brokers or the global brokers don't trade and hold positions like they used to be able to do, right? They don't. Instead, they margin call somebody that they're managing the, you know, their, their accounts for. So I think you got to take a little bit of that. 
Nat gas is the one I think that's more interesting to me. I know we don't have that chart up here. Well, they can do but it. It's had a really huge, good. obviously had a huge rally again in the shoulder months heading into a winter, right? Yeah. I mean, it feels like it'll never be cold again, considering the, the heat going on in the, in the world, but probably not the perfect chart to show, but near term <laughs> natural gas futures have, again, they trade low the futures, yep, yep, futures yep, yep. have been trading and there's backwardation. We'll go into that. So I think it's going to remain volatile, but this is enough. I'll end with this to be able to feel like you can own energy stocks, right? Because if this is your plug and play yeah. to some of these companies, natural gas names like pioneer, right? We're looking this morning, this PXD and so forth have really been rocket ships and they have good fundamentals. Anyway, that was my point with energy. When we made that comment, could it break 65? And you said to me, well, that's the level. I go, if it doesn't break 65, you can feel good about owning these stocks because I think there'll be a flight to somewhat safe. Yeah, so guy, you know, that has been your take. You've talked a lot about the relationship between crude oil, the commodity, and then some of the stocks. And you were, you know, on many occasions over the last six to nine months, you've highlighted the fact that some of those correlations have been broken. You've been steadfast, a buyer of the oil services. You, you thought that the underperformance of the major integrated, you know what I mean, is, is something interesting, but you were also a, a buyer of the XLE on the last couple of months. Do you remain a buyer of them now that you've had this crude breakout here, do you think at some point it makes sense to kind of take some of it off the table now that you have cr crude within, you know, 2023 highs and very near 90 bucks? Yeah, that would make sense. And that would be the logical thing. I don't think so, though. I think it continues. OIH is at multi-year highs here. And again, what we've talked about now for 43 minutes, if we start to see a sell-off in the broader market, it's probably going to be predicated on a lot of these high valuation, high growth names, the money will re-rotate back into energy stocks, I think. And I think to a certain extent, you're seeing it now. So I don't run too far from energy here. I mean, OIH, I think, will continue to do the grind. And the good thing about so many of these names, you can make a very compelling case for them on valuation. And the fact that they are better companies today than they were pre-ESG. And the best, I've said this, I believe it, the best thing that happened to energy companies were threefold. That minus $39 print in the front month crude, I think four, three or four springs ago, the Biden administration somewhat counterintuitively, and ESG. All those things are the best thing that ever happened to the Exxon Mobiles of the world. All right, fair enough. Um, all right, one last thing, and this is this is actually going to be fun. This is going to be fun. Guy, do you know that, that the CME is launching the battle? I do. Of the bonds. Okay. Now they've already had thousands of people sign up to participate in the battle of the bonds. Danny, talk about what this is. Let's get the dates in which you have to sign up for. And then you see that little tricked out water bottle. We're having those made up for the first hundred people. And, and, and you're going to go to the link that we have in the show notes here, people, but just Google, Google the battle of the bonds and it'll take you to the CME website. You can sign up there for the first hundred of it who do it today and send a copy of your registration to contact at riskreversal.com. Amanda is going to get your address and send you one of those really cool market call water bottles. But Guy, Danny, and myself are also going to be participating in this. And this is going to be really fun. Yeah. No, listen. So kicking off on Sunday, September 10th, 5 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, when futures do start trading for a period of that week, ending at 12 p.m. Central Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on Friday, September 15th. So for the week, basically, you will, if you sign up uh, on the link that we're talking about and just open an account at CME, you will get a $100,000 margin of fake money. Obviously, you don't get a Paper 000. trading here, people. Pa yep. Paper trading and competition. So you'll be able to trade the two-year, the five-year, the 10-year, 30-day Fed funds, one and three months so far, 
right? All kinds of things that'll be open to you in the middle, by the way, I must say, of leading up basically the week before the Fed's going to raise. I just mentioned the ECB is going to be meeting, you know, I think yeah. on the 14th. So we have a lot of stuff going on at the time. And the first prize, this is from CME, is paying out $2,500, right? Second prize is $1,500 and third place is $850. That's real money that yeah. they're going to be paying out. Yeah. So you want to feel what it's like to probably lose $100,000 of, of fake money quickly in a futures market on trading treasuries. I think it's a great way to help people to educate themselves. Yeah. I've always said, until you put up figure does not get no, no, money, but paper trading involved, and the competition aspect exactly. is really good. And it also actually, this is the beauty of, of a contest like this. Okay. Is that you're going to try out different ways to attack a trade, understanding that, that you might use really tight stops to keep getting in there, lose little bits of money until you get it right. Or what it feels like to get something right, right off the bat guy and move your stops I, lower and that sort of thing. I mean, these are all, this is actually how you learn how to trade a new product. In my opinion, doing it, paper it's trading thing and that I can beat you in. I think it's oh, another contest geez. that okay, I'm going to beat there you we in. Go. But guy, before you comment, let me just say, because in bold letters, just want to, because I've always wanted to host a game show. It says, <laughs> no actual cash will be traded. And by the way, uh, the residence is available to the US, UK, and so forth. You'll see that over 18 only, no purchase necessary, guy. I, I think right? it's great that CME yeah. is doing this. And to your point, both of you made, it's a great education and it's a great sort of way to understand how futures work and without risking anything effectively other than your time, it's sort of a great educational experience. Also, it's going to be a lot of fun. So I know how I would position myself short as shit, but that's, hey, that's what makes <laughs> we'll markets. See, guy. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Well, listen, there's a lot of products that you can trade in this competition. The two-year note, the five-year, the 10-year, those are all the T-bill, uh, you know, the, the, the treasury notes there and a whole host of other things. So go do that. Do it alongside of us. The first hundred of you sign up today are going to get they one of those. Take a picture and Mark, send it yeah. to Amanda. So okay. take a screenshot of your registration email that you get, send it to Amanda, contact at uh, riskreversal.com, and then you will get one of those really um, cool water bottles. So listen, we appreciate you guys being here uh, with us today. It was really fun for Danny and me to be here at CME Group. On the 8 a.m. flight, I might have I know, United, that, thankfully. That, so. that, there's anyway. a stop down I, right I now. We may, we may be doing market call tomorrow. There you go. From That's CME right. Group here. If we can't get out of here, people. Guy Adami, thanks for uh, playing along with us in parts unknown, as you said here. And we're going to enjoy Pearl Jam tonight at the United Center, the house that Michael Jordan built. Yep. How do you think about that? Right. They're going to open Allen Park. Do you know that the very end of the brilliant, um, the Michael Jordan thing that was on Netflix, yep. the, um, what was that called there? Uh, what was that? What was that series called? I'm last, I, yeah, yeah, I, the last, last uh, dance. You know, they ended, they ended it. They ended it to present tense by Pearl Jam. Do you know that? No. Like, like yeah. As, okay. as he's walking. Okay. So yeah, we're going to get something. The 10 part right. series, the last dance there. All right, people. Thanks for being here. All right, peeps. Thanks to all our friends at CME. I don't think you're entitled guy. I love you. All right. All buddy. right. All right. See ya. 